0: Welcome to the PCOS Girls Podcast. I'm Bridget Warne, founder of PCOS to Wellness and creator of Sisterhood and Mamahood Tees.
1: And I'm Melissa Christie, founder of PCOS Pathways and creator of the PCOS Journal.
0: And guys, we are not doctors. We are just two women with PCOS who love reading about it, talking about it, writing about it,
1: basically just oversharing about it. <laughs> so we recommend you find a health practitioner you love to support you on your journey. In the meantime, this podcast is all about how we have gone from hormonal messes to motherhood, the simple changes we've made to improve our PCOS, and the ups and the downs of living with this complex condition. Let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome to the PCOS Girls. Um, Today is very exciting. It's Mel here and Bridget's with me. Hi. Hi. (laughs) And we have an interview coming up that I just I absolutely loved doing this interview and I feel like we say this all the time and we do always love it but today's interview I just learned so so much and I'm really really excited for you guys to hear this one. Before we lead into it we're going to do a couple of quick recommendations and then we're going to get down to it because it's quite a decent interview so we'll keep it quick today Mm. what are you recommending Bridget
0: (laughs) I am recommending now it's not organic so don't come at me I know I preach (laughs) organic but I'm really enjoying it at the moment and uh, yeah it's just I just well I've only tried it once as in I've only bought one of these so far but I'm really enjoying it from the supermarket just from Woolies it's called Mm -hmm um i don't actually remember the name of it but it is macadamia and oat milk i think it's called nom like n-o-m milk
1: nom oh okay yeah
0: anyway it's in where all the all the plant milks are and the combo of the oat and the the macadamia wow 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 (laughs) like so creamy so delicious Literally could just drink it, like, which I would never do normally, but I could literally just, like, drink a cup of it. Anyway, I'm fully vibing that at the moment. So if anyone's looking to try something a bit different, but it's also got me thinking I could totally make that. Like, I could buy the nuts and the oats and just blend them up and make – Fresh organic macadamia and oat milk. So that's what I'm, that's actually what I'm going to recommend is that you go and make that as opposed to that you buying make it from the supermarket. <laughs> yeah. I have never, ever
1: made any kind of nut milk or anything. I know you can, but, and it would be so much cheaper because some of them are so expensive, aren't they? Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, to be fair, to buy the nuts is pretty expensive. Well, um, that's true,
1: but you could probably make a fair bit.
0: You can, and well, then you know, can actually. use the, you can use like some people, like I pretty much just blend all of mine up together and leave a fair bit of the fibery bits in there, but a lot of people oh, yeah. keep it, take it all out and then they use that as like, you can make like almond flour or whatever flour, you know, with the remnants of whatever mm. you haven't soaked out of the yeah, nuts. Yeah, true. So, you know, you so can true. you can get your money's worth because you can get two products out of it basically.
1: Do you know what we should really be recommending? Like the long con. Like go to the nursery, buy a macadamia tree, (laughs) come home, plant it, but wait forty
0: years. Do you know my mom and dad have a macadamia tree, and I swear because they're in Melbourne, so like you definitely need like hot tropical climates for this macadamia tree to grow, and they've had like one macadamia the whole yes. yeah and it's been it's been on the property for like 60 years I'm pretty sure like it's the oldest yeah. tree ever it's literally had oh like my God, one I macadamia totally
1: <laughs> Mum and dad had one as well and it wasn't one nut but you'd get like five in a year yeah. and not every year it was like so every sad. second year and it, they were so prized <laughs> oh, um, uh, okay I'm yours? gonna recommend a food thing as well super simple um I've just been really lately into buying a butternut pumpkin, which in America, are they called a butternut squash? Is that the same thing?
0: Yeah, I think it's a squash. (laughs) (laughs) That's my American accent. (laughs) You did it really well.
1: (laughs) You took me there. So I'm just going to keep saying pumpkin, butternut pumpkin and an eggplant and just on a Sunday, just chopping them into wedges, putting them in the oven and roasting them and having them for the next three or four days as just something to add to anything. Like I'll have some with breakfast, with lunch, as a snack, doesn't matter. It's just this little top up of vegetable and just yum. Like it's so, so good. And I think why I like those two veggies the most is there's just so little prep. Like you don't have to take the skin off them, nothing. You just Chop them up, put them in. It's pretty much done. I so mean, a bit of oil and olive salt. Olive
0: oil or anything? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So you put some olive oil yeah, yeah, and yeah. salt. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yum. A bit
1: of olive oil, salt, or MCT oil, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and some herbs if you want to go for it. Sometimes they do that. But it's just so quick and simple. And I thank myself for the next four days.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so good. How delicious.
1: So good. But look, today's episode, the reason I'm so excited is because. We've interviewed Lucy Lyons from Two Lines Fertility, and she is just the absolute expert when it comes to the fertility process. And she particularly knows about that process if you're going through that Western medicine approach. So whether it leads to IUI or IVF, she just knows the ins and outs of it. And that's what she shares with us today. And it's something that I think, you know, Bridge and I could have thrown together an episode and done lots of research into it, but this isn't our specialty of knowledge Mm. in any way and it really is hers so she is an embryologist which means that she has been in the lab actually you know combining the sperm and the egg and putting them together for IVF and she did it for years and she found that there were just so many because she wasn't the doctor in the consult room she was seeing so many couples just maybe who didn't need to be there, who yeah. could have had a different approach that would have been better to explore first or couples who could have been doing some other things to support their journey or, yeah, couples who just didn't even need to be there yeah. at all. And because she was in that field, she would always have like friends and family coming to her, asking for advice, and she got really used to to assessing people's situations and giving them advice. And so, yeah, she's made a whole business out of helping women on this journey And I just, I love this episode because it's great if you're on that journey and you're looking at down the barrel of IVF or wherever it might be on that journey. So good for you to understand the ins and outs and what to expect. Um, But even if that's not where you're at and you're trying, you're just winging it or you're on a more natural approach, I feel like most of us have in the back of our mind, you know, if all else fails, there's IVF. I feel like no matter Mm. how natural you are, that thought Is there. And so this is a really great episode for really knowing what that means and whether it belongs there, that thought, you know, is IVF the be all end all? So, yeah, it's such a good episode. And she has this really great analogy about the Western medicine versus the more natural approach that has changed the way I look at it. And so I'm not going to tell you what it is. You have to listen. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah really I really think you guys are going to love this one so and I think as well
0: (laughs) yeah just for anyone like for myself personally I Hmm. just because I've never gone through it or uh, I mean I've had friends go through IVF and gone down fertility treatments but I've never really understood it and this definitely is a, a she really takes you through the journey and it's she does it Mm. in a really easy to understand way and even for someone like myself I was like oh wow this is so interesting and so incredible Mm. and I think she's just amazing her entire ethos and the way she goes about it so hopefully no matter where you are or what you're thinking or what your plans are you'll get something out Mm. of this episode today
1: yep definitely enjoy guys (laughs) bye bye Lucy, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're so excited to have you here to talk about all the things that we know nothing about. (laughs) Um, Look, we wanted to do an episode all about sort of, you know, fertility procedures like IVF. And honestly, I don't really know what else. I don't know much about it. And so we thought we could have maybe pulled something together, but ultimately it's going to make a lot more sense to get an amazing expert on the show like you. So thank you so, so much for being here.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to share whatever I Yay. can. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, for everyone listening, Lucy is
1: just, she's honestly the person you want to hear talk about this. I We met about a year ago, I think. I think it was because I think I was very nauseous with pregnancy and we we did a sort of kind of like a mentorship program together and I remember being in meetings and thinking I don't know if I can stay here because I'm gonna vomit <laughs> but I remember meeting you and being like my gosh like who is this just total dark horse of being like the person who knows more about this than anybody and I yeah felt very excited to meet someone who actually knew about all this stuff because I think you know, for everyone listening to this podcast, you would know we talk a lot about the kind of natural approaches to things. And we interview a lot of people talking about that. And, you know, we share a lot of that stuff online. But this side of things is just so important because so many women in our community are taking this approach. So we think it's a bit of a disservice that we haven't done more on it so far. So, yeah, very excited to have you here. If you guys are on a path um, that's looking at IVF or anything like that, just you should just pause this episode right now and go on over and check out Lucy on Instagram. She's at Two Lines Fertility. That's T W O Lines Fertility and her website two linesfertility.com.au because she is honestly the queen of it and you won't regret it.
2: <laughs> um, all right I feel like you've talked me up now and I'll need to just say thank you very okay. much. Goodbye. <laughs> no. <laughs> you deserve every single
1: word of it, honestly. Um, I don't know anyone who has the knowledge that you have about this. So, all right, I'm going to dive in. The first question we ask is our yep. most important question, obviously, and that is
2: what did you have for dinner last night? <laughs> I'm lucky enough to live in a part of Australia, well, part of the world <laughs> where I can go out for dinner. So I went out for dinner oh, last night. Lucky you. Um, And... I went to a local Italian restaurant and had a dish called Fettuccine della Donna, God. which is fettuccine with a tomato creamy sauce, mm. which has chicken and salmon. In oh, it. that is so unexpected. I know, right? <laughs> and how does that go so down? Unexpected. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually amazing. It sounds really weird, but it's, it's not your most PCOS friendly <sighs> meal. That's okay. But it is certainly a very delicious thing that this particular Italian restaurant does. So, fettuccine, della donna, it's got spring onions, mm. salmon, chicken, <laughs> and a tomato and cream sauce. I together actually really
1: like creamy tomato sauces. I feel yeah. like I want to see them more mm. often. And you know what? I think every meal is a PCOS friendly meal, you know, when it's not at every meal.
2: <laughs> That's right. Very true, very true, very true. Oh,
1: that yeah. sounds very strange, but I'm intrigued and may actually try Strangely that. delicious, though. Well, I like all of the ingredients in it, so it's probably good. Mm. Very good. <laughs> okay, so Lucy, you have been an embryologist for about 20 years yes. and you've moved in, moved into having a business um, where you offer independent uh, fertility guidance and support to couples who are trying to conceive so I want to understand exactly what an embryologist is and I want to understand how that's led you into being this you know bona fide on the ground real life fertility expert
2: yeah <laughs> well um so I actually first became and and started my training as an embryologist in 2000 the year 2000s that's so twenty. 21 years ago shit I sound old (laughs) and I actually didn't even know what an embryologist was myself when I started but an embryologist (laughs) is the scientist who hangs out in an IVF Mm -hmm. lab basically the one who's playing with the sperm and the eggs and creating the embryos and watching the embryos grow Mm. choosing the embryos to go back for embryo transfer there's a whole lot of other stuff we do too but basically that's what an embryologist does we hang out in the lab you're and we play with sperm wow
1: so you're there for that special moment of life
2: Well, yes, although I sort of in my lead up to learning about it, you know, doing my Mm -hmm. training, I've studied agricultural science Mm -hmm. and went to a research farm north of Adelaide somewhere where they were doing a lot of AI, artificial insemination in cattle and sheep. Mm -hmm. And there was one day where we got to look at sheep embryos, sheep eggs and sperm Mm -hmm. down the microscope Mm -hmm. and we were looking at them and I I thought at the time that I actually witnessed the moment that a sperm swam into an egg. Right. Now, years later, when I actually became an embryologist, I realised that that process is not something that you just see, you don't look down a microscope and go, there it goes, there's the sperm swimming into the egg. That's not really how it happens in humans anyway. In humans, if you have IVF, there are a couple of different ways that the sperm and egg can be united, Um, and one of them is standard IVF, which is where we just put the sperm and the eggs together in a dish and let them do their thing. But we certainly can't watch the sperm swim into the Why egg. Not? We just put them in the same dish and put them in the, in the incubator. And that happens at some stage throughout the night. Oh, so you don't um, see it happen. No, because, because the eggs are actually shrouded in all these this cloud of other cells around the right. egg. And the sperm has to make its way through all of those cells Mm -hmm. to earn the ability or to to develop the ability to be able to get through the shell of the egg when it gets there so it's quite a long process and there's a lot of chemical reactions and we we actually it's a chemical cascade is what they call it so that has to happen in order for that to happen in order for that to happen in order for that to happen (sighs) and if any one of those things doesn't happen it doesn't work wow and so it's 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 A whole lot of chemical reactions that happen one after the other in order for the sperm. You know, if if you took all those cells off the outside of Mm -hmm. the egg and put the sperm with the egg, it wouldn't be able to penetrate the shell. Mm -hmm. It has to be able to make its way through all those cells before it can be able to. God, to have the capacity to actually penetrate the shell of the egg. So that process takes a period of time. So you can't. You can't see that. Okay, so you come in the next morning and. Yeah, and have a look. And because the sperm, because we've put roughly 100,000 sperm per egg. Wow. Because there are so many sperm trying to make their way to this one egg, they all make their way through these cells, which breaks down the bonds between these cells, if you think about it in a chemical sort of chemical bonds and stuff. way it breaks down the bonds between those cells so when you come back the next day all those cells have all separated Mm -hmm. out and you can just look at the Mm -hmm. egg and you can there are certain signs you can see in the egg as to whether it's fertilized or not. wow
1: and are all the other sperm dead where are they
2: yeah well no a lot of them are still swimming around still swimming around but they They just know where to go they didn't get you know they're like sorry bye (laughs) yeah they're done um, but if you have ICSI, which is another way to introduce the sperm to mm-hmm. the egg, if you have ICSI, we have to actually strip all those cells off the egg so we can look at mm-hmm. the egg on the day we've collected it and make a call about how mature it mm-hmm. is. So there's a whole, if you remember meiosis and mitosis and all of that kind of stuff from, from school, if you I don't, like most people, you go, oh, I remember that yeah, word, word, but I don't really. Yes, I'm yeah, most people. Um there's, yeah, there's there's a point in that process where an egg is mature enough to receive a sperm. And so we need to strip all of those cells off the outside of the egg so we can determine whether it's mature enough to receive the sperm. Mm-hmm. And then we can select a single sperm and inject that into the egg. Ah. But that's no guarantee that it's been fertilised. We still then need to leave yep. it to do all the chemical things it needs to do and we come back and look at it the next yeah. day and decide if it's fertilized or not. Okay.
1: So I wanna get into that a little bit later about all the different procedures yeah. and when or when you would have them and why you would have them. Yeah. But I'm very intrigued as to which one is better. <laughs> or is yeah, one of those Yeah, better? well, okay, we'll come back yeah, to it. Yeah, we'll that. come
2: back to it. Okay. Yeah. So so that's basically what okay, an embryologist yes. does. That that's our job. We hang out in the lab and we hang out with the eggs and the sperm and we do all the the mixing together and the joining and the whatever mm-hmm. and the monitoring and the watching and the choosing mm-hmm. um and then we select an embryo for transfer. I worked clinically like that in an actual IVF Mm -hmm. lab up until, so I started my training in 2000 and I was working as a clinical embryologist through until probably early 2007, um, late 2006 I think. So about six years I worked clinically Mm -hmm. as an embryologist and then I moved into working for a company that produce products for IVF labs. So they make needles and catheters and pipettes and test tubes and culture media and all the things that IVF labs need. And I was one of their global customer support embryologists. So people who were using our products, I went and visited their labs and talked to them about what they were doing and how they could maybe do it differently and how they could use our products and blah, Mm blah, blah.
1: Okay. And so from there, how has it led to you offering this really kind of personalized service to couples to help them.
2: Well, I think when you socially meet anyone mm. and they find out you're an embryologist, mm. first they say what the hell is yeah. that? And then they say, "Oh, well my neighbor's having IVF and she's doing X, Y and Z and or my sister had IVF and this and they and you hear all these stories mm-hmm. about people. These really personal stories mm. suddenly become my social conversation. Yep. And so over the 20 years of my my life working in the field of fertility, mm-hmm. this has sort of been a thing that you offer on the side. You know, people ring you and they say, you're an embryologist. Mm-hmm. This happened. Why did mm-hmm. that happen? My sister is having IVF and she had a total failure to fertilise. What, what is that? Yeah. And how do I support mm-hmm. her? My other friend is seeing this fertility specialist and they really don't like them and they cry every time they leave and who else could they possibly mm-hmm. see? Who else do you know? And it became a whole lot of friends and family and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends (laughs) coming to me for support and guidance and I thought and and my mother actually always said to me you need to do this as a business Mm. and I'm like but how do I go from this job that I have where I'm supporting my family Mm. basically I'm the main breadwinner and I'm I'm supporting my family Mm. to that which I don't know how much to charge I don't want to charge people anything (laughs) to do that I just want to help yeah and so that sort of built up over the years and then I, I eventually, I was in a position in Melbourne where I was working for one of the very big companies in Melbourne as a I took a bit of a sideways step in my career so that we could come back from Europe. Mm-hmm. We were living in Europe and I wanted to come back to mm-hmm. Australia. And so I took a bit of a sideways step and took a position as a what's called a medical liaison officer. Mm-hmm. So basically that is someone who goes out visiting GPs mm-hmm. and talking to them about fertility. Oh. And in the five years I worked in that job, it became really clear to me that GPs don't understand a lot about fertility. Basically what they do is they do whatever tests the fertility clinic have told them to do and then they refer them to a fertility clinic. And it felt to me like there was a big gap in the middle there. No-one was talking to people about nutrition, about how to know when the right time to try and conceive Mm -hmm. is about their bodies, about how to understand what their bodies were doing, Mm -hmm. about, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that people weren't getting. There was a big gap. Mm -hmm. And so when I was made redundant from that position Mm -hmm. at 37 weeks pregnant at 44 years old with a surprise random baby, (laughs) I thought, you know what, that's it, I'm done. I'm done with this just making money for shareholders Mm -hmm. and encouraging doctors to refer their patients to fertility specialists whose clinics are really quiet for a really good Mm. reason you know and and I want to actually get back to helping real people make build their families however they can and so and and try and fill those gaps Mm. and and help people get to a point where they could just build their families whether that was naturally or with IVF or however and to understand what the hell's going on yeah um so that's that's how it led to that and it was sort of years of of learning about all this stuff and and years of frustration over people not getting the right information because Mm. people wanted to make money i was
1: thinking that when you were talking about how friends and family would come to you for advice i bet there were times where you were like oh that is not what should be happening for them or you must have heard some yep. stories that totally. frustrated you.
2: Yeah, totally. Well, how the hell did you end up having IVF? My God. Mm. Well, how did we get there? Can we just go back a few mm. steps? And, oh, but my doctor told me this. Okay, firstly, who's your doctor? Mm. And secondly, Can I have their phone number? Because they're giving you wrong information. There are, and I don't, don't, I'm I'm not a GP. I don't profess to be better than, in inverted commas, anybody. Mm. But there are a lot of GPs out there, particularly ones who work in um, bulk billing Mm. clinics where you don't make an appointment, you don't form a relationship with them, you just walk in. They have about seven minutes to spend Mm. with you. All they're going to do is request blood tests and give you a referral. They're not going to educate you. They're not going to talk to you. They actually don't really want to because... They get paid by pumping through the patients, yep. so you know it's about finding a great GP too. Mm-hmm. There are some awesome GPs who are really going to help you and support you through this, and I'm I know them and I can send you to yep. them. So it's 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 about finding the right people to support you on your journey. And and you know, some of my clients, it might be me finding them a great dietitian. It might be me finding them an excellent um, gynecologist who's going to understand their particular situation mm. it might be finding a great GP it might be finding a great Chinese medicine practitioner it might be finding an Ayurvedic practitioner who's going to really float their boat mm. it, what for me it's about connecting the right people with the right people mm. so that they can get the outcome they want for them not for the fertility specialist who's trying to send their kids to private school. Oh, my God. I love that so much. I love you. (laughs) Unpopular opinion number (laughs) 378.
1: If you guys are listening to this and you're like, I need Lucy in my life, (laughs) um, I am with you. I totally understand. And, again, you need to go and check her out. And, actually, Lucy's offering our community 10% off um, her Toxins and Fertility Masterclass and you just need the discount code PCOS. 10, Um, but we'll talk a bit more about how people can get in touch with you in a little bit. As a big thank you for listening to our little podcast and for being a part of our very special PCOS Girls community, we've created a discount code that you guys can use for any of our products. Head to PCOSToWellness.com for Bridget's products or PCOSPathways.com for my products and enter in the code PCOSGirls15 for 15% off. That's PCOSGIRLS15. Love you guys. Okay, so you just mentioned like why, you know, you had heard of someone going to IVF and you're thinking, why are you there? So that kind of leads me into my next question, which is IVF is, it's often seen as this sort of be all, end all, you know, last resort for fertility, like the kind of backup plan if everything else goes wrong. And it seems to be kind of like the very best tool in a doctor's tool belt. I don't know. Is this where IVF belongs? It's kind of on this pedestal, but it's a bit feared. I don't
2: know. So many people have said to me over the years, oh, well, we'll keep trying this, but if it doesn't work, we'll just do IVF. Yes. And, you know, I remember saying myself as a, you know, 20-year-old, mm-hmm. oh, well, if I'm not pregnant by by 30 or whatever stupid age I thought was old when I was young, <laughs> I'll just have IVF. Yeah and let me just clarify for anyone listening n- absolutely nobody just does ivf <laughs> ivf is a massive thing mm-hmm. and it is it, it's a massive thing emotionally it's a massive thing for your whole life not just your emotion but your whole life organization and it's a massive thing financially mm. there's no guarantee you know i i grew up with this misguided thought that oh well if everything else failed ivf would just fix mm. it and The reality is that the success rates of taking home a live baby at the end of a long pregnancy Mm. with IVF, actually not that much greater than natural fertility Mm. for those who are naturally fertile. You know, a a 25 year old with no real reason for their infertility, who conceives naturally has about a 20 to 25% chance of conceiving in any given Mm. month. That, that's yep. it that's what natural fertility yep. is so IVF with IVF she maybe has about a 35% chance of conceiving okay. with yep. IVF and and that's you know that that depends on a whole lot of factors I mean obviously that's just a number I've randomly thrown out there but and it depends on a whole lot of factors and and her success is very different but IVF absolutely no way should be put on a great big pedestal yep. The whole point of having any kind of investigation into your fertility, whether you do that through a Chinese medicine practitioner or through a gynecologist or whatever, Mm. is about trying to work out where the hurdle is. What's Mm. going wrong here? Why aren't we getting to the end of this race? Mm. And If we can establish where the hurdle is, if you go down the pathway of Eastern medicine, Mm. it's likely that once that hurdle is established, your Eastern medicine practitioner is going to try and reduce that hurdle with you. So if you're 25 and we establish the hurdle, you've got plenty of time to spend six or 12 months working on reducing that hurdle. Whereas if you go to a Western medicine practitioner, they're going to find the hurdle and then help you to jump it. Right. So if the hurdle is that you're not ovulating, Mm rather than work with you and get you ovulating Mm -hmm. again, they're going to give you drugs to make you ovulate. I love this analogy. could be, (laughs) it doesn't have to be the wrong answer. It might be the right answer for Mm -hmm. you, but you just need to know that you have those options. And if you're 41 and you're not getting pregnant because you're not ovulating, then the right answer for you is probably going to be to take some drugs to make you ovulate, as opposed to 6 or 12 months reducing that hurdle um and and that's just one example you know wherever the hurdle is it's about finding the hurdle gathering the information Mm -hmm. gathering the data to make a decision about what you want to do next and that decision doesn't have to be IVF it might be but that's just one option in in a plethora of other things you could do
1: yeah totally and that's something that I just know nothing about you know I know about IVF but I really don't know much about anything else but there are other options That are presented too. So I guess I want to know what procedures are appropriate for women with PCOS and how do they work? Because a lot of women with PCOS are going down this pathway and exploring these options. Should they? Are any of these options appropriate for PCOS?
2: Um, Look, PCOS is such a a wide and varied thing, as you Mm -hmm. know, like it's a, a huge thing and there can be so many different presentations of PCOS and different implications with having a PCOS. If you have PCOS because, I mean, sorry, because was the wrong word to use there, there, there is a very inextricable link between PCOS and weight. Mm-hmm. And generally, it's not necessarily weight, it's more metabolism. Mm-hmm. It's not what the scales say, it's what your metabolism is doing. Yep. And, the, and the two are inextricably linked. Yep there is plenty of there's no way of knowing no one has yet established which one comes first right. is it be having a, a mucked up metabolism that causes you to have PCOS or is it PCOS that causes you to have a mucked up metabolism mm-hmm. either way quite often for women with PCOS if they can manage to somehow lose Five percent of their body weight whatever their body weight happens to be that can be enough to reset their metabolism and get them back into ovulation it can be so for a woman with PCOS it really depends on what her individual symptoms are what her the, the makeup of her PCOS mm-hmm. is but if the outcome of that is that she's not ovulating which tends to be one of the most common factors then there are a number of ways you can get yourself to ovulate again and that's what I was saying before you can either work with Eastern medicine, or it doesn't have to be Eastern, can be Western with a dietitian or someone who's going to help you to reset your metabolism in some way. And that's not necessarily just losing weight. It's about changing what you eat, changing how much you move your body. Then that can get you to ovulate again. Now, if you rock up at your GP and you say, I'm not having periods and I want to have a baby, they say, well, if you're not having periods, you're not ovulating, therefore you need to go and see a gynecologist. You go and see a gynecologist. Mm-hmm. If you rock up at the wrong gynecologist, they're gonna go, we're well, not ovulating. Here's a drug, let's get you ovulating. We'll do ovulation induction mm-hmm. um, and induce you to ovulate. Yeah. And what drugs are they? If you go and see someone who's a little bit more holistic, mm-hmm. they might say, Okay, great, well, you're not ovulating. We'll do all these blood tests and work out what's going on. You're not ovulating it's likely because you have PCOS. Yes, we've diagnosed your PCOS. Okay, great. Now I want you to go and see this team of people Mm -hmm. who are going to help you to manage your PCOS, which is then going probably going to solve your problem. Mm -hmm. So again, it comes back to depending on who you end up with. Ovulation induction, back to what the actual things are that people could Mm -hmm. do. Ovulation induction induces you to ovulate mm-hmm. and is drugs that make you ovulate basically yeah. once you ovulate you can get pregnant it doesn't solve your PCOS mm-hmm. um, it doesn't fix any of the risks associated with um, early miscarriage mm-hmm. or any of the other things that come gestational diabetes all of the other problems that come with pregnancy um, with PCOS mm-hmm. You may do uh, what's called IUI, which is intrauterine insemination. So that's often done together with ovulation induction. Oh. So they induce you to ovulate yeah. and then they inseminate sperm so that you the sperm is in the right place at the right time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Or they may do IVF. Right. Okay. So there's the options.
1: Yeah. Okay. So yeah. with the induction of ovulation
2: with drugs, do you know how yes. successful that is? Does it work very well? So... It really again comes back to how likely you how what your reason for having ovulation induction is in the first Mm -hmm. place. So if ovulation induction can be very, very successful because if you obviously your reason for not getting pregnant is because you're not producing an Mm -hmm. egg. If you then produce Mm -hmm. an egg, you're much more likely to get pregnant. But the sort of caveat there is that if you were producing an egg every month. Mm -hmm we wouldn't even start investigating until you were six months down the track. Mm-hmm. So that means that if you have an ovulation induction cycle, the part of your brain says, well, I've had this medical treatment, this should, I should have success. Mm. But actually you probably need six ovulation induction cycles before anyone's going to jump in and start doing anything else because that's kind of like trying naturally mm. for
1: six months. Yes, okay. So they're not even going to offer IUI until that sort of six-month time.
2: No, and, and that's good. Yeah. That's actually a good thing yeah. because what we're doing there is we're slowing down the move into further invasive yes. treatment. Yeah. And and I think going into that, any of those kind of treatments, any kind of fertility treatment, you need to go, okay, how long am I going to throw at this? How much time am I going to throw mm. at this? What is this fertility project? Yeah. Is it a, a one-month project, a three-month project, a six-month project, a 12-month project? You can reassess that at the end of the 12 months, but that's important to remember, that it's a project. Mm.
1: It's really interesting because I feel like when people look at going down the Western medicine path, it's like it's the, I feel like in a lot of people's minds it's the quick option. It's like, okay, well, I've been yeah. trying this natural stuff for a couple of years or or I can't, I, I don't want to try the natural thing for a couple of years. I just want to get this done. I'm just going to go straight into Western medicine and thinking that it will be quite fast. So that's really interesting what you say that it there's still time well, given. To- it's a
2: little bit like people with anxiety going, right, well, I'm anxious, mm. therefore give me a tablet because I just want to get mm. over it. And that's not actually not going to solve the problem. Mm. You need to do the work. Yep. And so again, I come back to the hurdle mm. thing. You know, we've got to work out what's the hurdle to your fertility yeah. and then what do we want to do about yeah. it? How do, Which way do we want to go? And if we want to jump the hurdle, what risks are associated with that? Mm. If we do take a drug to ovulate, what does that actually mean? Mm. It doesn't mean that that someone who's naturally ovulating isn't going to fall pregnant on the first month they try, mm. once we get you ovulating, that doesn't mean you're going to fall pregnant the first month that you do produce an mm. egg. It just means that you've got more of a chance yeah. because there's actually an egg and a sperm in the right place at the right yeah, time. Totally. So we need to give that time to work. And then even if we then do progress down the path of doing IVF, mm. that's also not a guarantee that it's going to work. Mm first time bang, just like that
1: either. Absolutely. And just to back it up to the IUI, so if people try inducing ovulation and then that doesn't work, does that often then lead to, to IUI or do people often go straight to IVF?
2: It depends very much on the situation. Mm-hmm. IUI doesn't add a lot. So again, we come back to the hurdle mm-hmm. thing. What are, what are we adding by doing mm-hmm. stuff? So if we're inducing you to ovulate mm-hmm. and then tracking that ovulation and we can see when that follicle is growing we can say right that follicle's now 20 millimeters we're pretty confident you're going to ovulate in the next three mm. days go home and get busy mm. we've got the timing mm. right adding IUI to that isn't actually adding much to that mix because we know you're going home and getting busy yeah. by getting your partner in to wash the sample and concentrate it and inseminate mm. it actually isn't that different yeah to you guys doing it at home unless there's a really some kind of minor male factor so maybe there's a little bit of a reduction in motility Mm -hmm. or maybe your husband's going to be away when you're ovulating maybe you've got a fifo husband he's not going to be around Mm -hmm. or if we can add something by doing IUI sure but if doing IUI doesn't actually add anything to the process then no that would move straight to IVF oh
1: that's so interesting I had no idea and with IUI do we know a success rate there do we know how successful it is?
2: So I was actually talking to a client about this the other day. If we look at published success rates of IUI, that includes everyone. And so the published success rates of IUI are only about 17%. yeah. Because IUI is often offered to people where ovulation induction is like they're not doing ovulation induction they're doing IUI is kind of a stepping stone to IVF we're a bit nervous we don't want to do IVF we just want to do IUI in the middle so it's IUI is not really jumping a hurdle for those people it's just a stepping stone whereas for people who are not ovulating Mm -hmm. or people who don't have sperm so donors they're using donor Mm -hmm. sperm um doing IUI jumps a really big hurdle for those people So if you can separate out the group of people that it's actually jumping a hurdle yeah. for, then IUI can be really successful. But across the board, it's about 17 or 18%. Yeah, right. It's it's
1: not brilliant. That's so interesting. And I just I'm in love with this hurdle analogy. <laughs> it's just honestly <laughs> the perfect way to describe it. And I've never thought of it like that. So thanks. <laughs> okay, so IVF. We're at IVF. What yep. are our success rates here? What's the reality?
2: Look, I, I success rates, I'm going to do a whole great big, not great big, I'm going to do a mini e-course on success rates because they really blow my mind. <laughs> success rates are kind of funky because we, what are we actually measuring? Like are we measuring the success of getting ovulating? Are we ex- measuring? There, there are so many different things that clinics measure mm-hmm. as a success mm-hmm. rate. As a patient, as a client, as a prospective parent, if, if I were walking into a fertility clinic, I want to know from first consultation what are my chances to have a baby to walk out of the hospital mm-hmm. with in 12 months' mm-hmm. time, 9, 8, 10 months' time, whatever. Yep. That's not a number you're going to find anywhere. You, you're just not going to find that number because it doesn't exist. Nobody calculates that number. Mm-hmm. What we look at is if you have an egg collection, mm-hmm. what are your chances of getting a positive blood test? Mm-hmm we look at if you have an embryo transfer what are your chances of getting a positive blood mm-hmm. test if you have an embryo transfer if you have two embryos transferred what are your chances of having one heartbeat or two mm-hmm. heartbeats so that's an an implantation rate a there's all sorts of different ways that you can measure success
1: yep. I understand. Can you actually, I just want to back up a second. Could you actually just explain how IVF is done?
2: Yeah, sure. So really quickly, basically what we do is we stimulate up the ovaries to keep an entire cohort of eggs growing. Mm -hmm. So a cohort of eggs grow towards an ovulation Mm -hmm. and normally most of them die out and you end up just one for ovulation. Mm -hmm. But when we do IVF, we try to keep that entire cohort growing. We jump in and we collect them, before you ovulate them naturally, right. and then we basically give them an apprenticeship in the lab. So we kind of grow them for a couple of days in the lab. We put the sperm and the eggs together either through standard IVF, where we would just put the sperm and the eggs in the same mm-hmm. dish, or ICSI, where we inject a single sperm into a single mm-hmm. egg, and then we watch them grow for a few days, usually five or six mm-hmm. days. We choose an embryo to transfer, and then we transfer one embryo and freeze or, or store any other suitable embryos wow. at that time. Wow, that's my entire new course that I'm building. That's going to be released later this mm-hmm. year. In two <laughs> well done, <laughs> I'm building about a a three month course on yeah. that at the moment. But very basically, that's what goes yeah. on. And so, if you have an egg collection, mm-hmm. you might not end up with an embryo transfer.
1: Mm. If you
2: start a cycle, so you start the stimulation drugs, you may not end up with an egg collection. Mm. If you end up with an egg collection, you may not end up with an embryo transfer. Mm. If you do get an embryo transfer, you might not have any embryos in the freezer Mm. and you might not have a positive pregnancy test two weeks Mm. later. If you do get a positive pregnancy test, you can still miscarry an IVF pregnancy Mm -hmm. and that can happen after that because that that positive pregnancy test is when your period would have been due. Mm. So you, you've only just missed your period. So you're really only really early stages pregnancy yeah. and the miscarriage rates very, very similar with IVF as they are with natural conception. Yeah. So there's a lot of places along the way that things can fall mm-hmm. over. And so as far, generally speaking, most clinics in Australia will say that after three egg collection cycles, mm-hmm. 80% of people will have a baby to take home from the hospital. Wow. Now, that is three egg collections. Yeah. So that is if you get 15 eggs collected on each mm-hmm. cycle and you have five embryos on day five mm-hmm. and you have one transferred and four in the freezer, mm-hmm. that one cycle is actually all five of those embryos being transferred. Oh, wow. So three cycles actually be 15 embryo transfers wow. and after that, It might be 15 or 20, it might only be two, but after three egg collection cycles, fully stimulated egg collection Mm -hmm. cycles, 80% of people will have a baby to take home.
1: Wow, that's really, really interesting. (laughs) And not what I expected. I didn't realise that each transfer takes each of those embryos. So that's a very, very long process. You know, three transfers sounds quite good for 80% but that and it is but it is a long process it's not quick
2: well it's three egg collections not three transfers three egg collections all of the transfers from all yeah. of the embryos created in those three egg yeah
1: collections. wow so okay if people are going to go down this path either IUI or let's say IVF are there things that they can do to support their journey
2: so 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 many things and that's actually what my new course is about great so when you rock up for IVF the temptation is to go okay well fine stuff it there's nothing I can do you guys do whatever you do until you're three cycles in and you go hang on a hot minute what the hell is going on here what are you doing what am I seeing the right person am I asking the right questions are you doing the right thing for me I trusted you to do the right thing and now I'm not so Mm -hmm. sure because by then you've gone down the path of Google a million times at three o'clock in the morning and you've gone down the path of joining 15 Facebook groups where people are comparing all the different things their doctors are doing and you start to freak out a little bit yep what can you do for IVF? So much. You can start by making sure that the raw materials that you're presenting to the lab to make babies out mm-hmm. of the absolute tip-top best they can be. Right. And that is through my three favorite things, nurture, nourish and protect. Okay. Nurturing yourself and your baby and your eggs and your sperm mm-hmm. and your, and your mind, mm-hmm. nourishing your mind, your brain, your your heart your soul and your eggs and sperm by what you eat and ingest not just what you're actually physically ingesting in food and drink but what you're ingesting in who your friends are Mm -hmm. who your social what social media you're looking at all of that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff and protect protecting your eggs and your sperm from the multitude of things that can impact them not just physically but mentally as well so nurture nourish protect are my big, big things that I talk to everybody about yeah. and you need yeah. to, if, if you're doing all of that stuff, and a lot of people who've come from a, from a very um, natural or holistic journey into IVF mm-hmm. have been doing all of that stuff for a long yeah. time and then they go, oh, stuff it, we're doing IVF yeah. now, we're just going to drop the ball. Yeah. And they actually need to keep doing those things so that the raw materials mm-hmm. can make the best embryos possible yeah. so that we can transfer that. So many people down the track go, oh, well, it's an egg quality problem. What can I do about that? Mm. There's a blog piece on my website all about egg quality and things you can do to support egg quality mm. and sperm health. And those things are still really important when you're doing IVF. Yeah. In fact, possibly even more. Yeah, yeah I can understand
1: that because, I mean, IVF's not cheap either. So I feel like... No not only would you want to do everything that you can, but it would probably also feel quite empowering to think that you do have some control in this situation. It's yep. not just in someone yep. else's hands.
2: So the more you understand about what you're going into, what's going to happen and how to manage your expectations around mm. it, the easier the whole process is going to be. Yeah. And if you have someone like me or one of the millions of other people fertility coaches and inverted commas out there now and and well as far as I'm aware there are only three of us who actually have clinical experience in the Mm. world possibly only two of us Mm. there's a girl in the UK and myself who are offering this kind of fertility coaching but there are a heap of other fertility coaches out there who've been through Mm. it who've shared this journey Mm. and that that might be the kind of support that you want not everyone's for everyone and everyone can find someone who suits them but having someone in your corner Mm. who can be the person on the end of your text message at 9 o'clock at night when you're freaking out about something crazy <laughs> who can just bring you back down and go, you know what, it's cool, yeah. let's talk about this tomorrow yeah. or through that process of IVF yeah. can really, really make a difference to how you cope with the process. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily make a difference to the outcome yeah. but it can make a big difference to um, how you cope with yeah. it which will then have a knock-on effect as to how long you can put up yes. with it for which will definitely have an impact on the outcome. Totally. It must be such an
1: emotional thing to see people go through. You must be. It is. You must see a lot of emotions when you.
2: But I love it. I love it. And, you know, it's I actually I had a client the other day who's going through that absolute shit trauma mm. of having a positive pregnancy test where the beta hcg is not high enough mm. and then an early pregnancy scan and there's no heartbeat mm. and we wait another week and we you know we're repeating the blood tests and we're repeating the scans and we're approaching a time where we have to accept the fact that this is not happening yeah. but this has been six weeks of her life yes. of maybe maybe not i don't know and i I love supporting her through that because I've been there. I know what it was like. I've had that no heartbeat on an ultrasound. I had five or six miscarriages myself. I stopped taking count. I stopped taking blood tests. Mm. I stopped even peeing on sticks. Mm. I just had late late periods because I didn't want to know yeah. and I disconnected from my body. So I've been there and I've done that. Yeah. And it is such an honour and a privilege to be able to support people through that because I can sit and talk to her for an hour on the phone and then, it's I don't have to take it on, mm. but I know, you know, she knows she's got someone who's walking with her yeah. in that path, and so she feels supported. But I can go, okay, I'm I'm out the other side of that. Yeah. But I, so I can support it, yeah. and and it's it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do it. I yeah, love I
1: feel it. like you're bringing so much like love and warmth to something that can feel very clinical to people. I think you know i think it can
2: certainly you know, in the in the medical space mm. you know when you i've i've actually sat in on ultrasounds where doctors have gone oh well there's no baby there oh well just come back when it's when it's gone and we'll try again mm. um pardon yeah. like you can't talk to people yeah. like that you just you can't be that person yeah. and sometimes those doctors are actually really 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 good at what they're yeah. doing and you do want to keep seeing yeah. them But you need someone alongside you who can offer that empathy that that doctor's just not capable of offering. Yeah, 100%. And that's that's what I'm here for. That's what I love to do.
0: (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Sisterhood Tea. Hi, guys. It's Bridget Warren, the founder of PCOS to Wellness and creator of Sisterhood Tea. Sisterhood Tea is a powerful blend of herbs that has been specifically created by me to help other women like me may be experiencing the many frustrating symptoms of PCOS and other hormonal imbalances, which affect so many women. Every ingredient in sisterhood is 100% natural and has a purpose. And most importantly, the ratio of each herb has been carefully weighed out to ensure the perfect amount is added into each bag to make it an easy and accessible way for you to manage your symptoms every day. And don't worry, I promise it tastes nice too. Sisterhood Tea is a powerful holistic alternative and is suitable for all women, but has been specifically designed to help support women who may be experiencing symptoms of PCOS and other hormonal imbalances, women who've been on the contraceptive pill or are coming off the contraceptive pill, problematic skin conditions such as acne and dermatitis, fertility issues, weight management, hair loss and hirsutism, moodiness, bloating and menstrual cramps, and of course, regulating the menstrual cycle. Sisterhood Tea is 100% natural, organically grown where possible, vegan, and hand blended and packaged in Australia. The results and hundreds of testimonials for Sisterhood Tea are honestly just incredible. And some of the most inspiring stories include clearing up stubborn acne, growing back hair loss, regulating their period and even successful pregnancies after years of trying everything else. We call them our little sisterhood babies. So if you want to find out more about sisterhood tea or read some more of the amazing testimonials, head over to PCOS2Wellness.com where I ship worldwide.
1: You have mentioned in the past that fertility has become big, business and you even mentioned before that you've seen some exploitation in the IVF industry I want to hear more about that I want to understand it
2: <laughs> I want to be really careful not to get okay. <laughs> but, um, look, I, I, don't, I don't make any secret of the fact that I find the marketing and PR of fertility doctors and fertility yep. clinics to be abhorrent right. you don't see cardiac surgeons advertising You don't Mm. see knee reconstructive surgeons um, Mm. on Today Tonight talking about the knee reconstruction that went wrong or how shit other knee reconstructive doctors are. Mm. By the same token, you don't have knee reconstruction patients questioning their doctors to the same extent that fertility patients will question their fertility Mm. specialists. So it's different Mm. but, yes, there is no denying that fertility is big business. Mm. The company that owns... Melbourne IVF in Melbourne. Now I send lots and lots of my clients to Melbourne IVF physicians and specialists because some of them are amazing. Mm. But the company that own Melbourne IVF, Virtus Health, Mm. own more IVF clinics in the world than anyone else. They are the largest IVF provider in the Mm. world. And they provide IVF, there's a couple of clinics in Dublin, there's a couple of clinics in Singapore, there's clinics in all over Australia. They have boards of directors, they have shareholders, they're floated on the stock exchange. The doctors have quotas that they need to meet each month. So, you know, your quota this month is 50 IVF cycles. It's very hard for the medical professionals within those organisations to keep their focus on providing the right thing for their patients when they're getting so much pressure from the big business Mm -hmm. to reach their quotas and to bring enough money in for the business. Yeah. And there are some of them who do it really well and there are some of them who don't do it so yeah. well. And, it, it, you know, and, and Melbourne IBS is just one example. Monash is the mm. same. See, they're all big business mm. and they're all making money for, for someone. Mm. And um, generally speaking, shareholders, and not all of them are owned by shareholders, mm. but uh, I just, it's a really hard balance for me to get the, the, to find the specialists who are still in it for the right reasons mm. and who can block out the pressure they're getting from their business managers yeah. to meet their quotas yeah. and provide the right patient care for their patients. Mm. As far as specific examples, I can think of an international specific example where I was working as a clinical embryologist Mm. and I had come from a clinic that had amazing success rates in Sweden Mm. to a clinic in the UK where the success rates were completely shit in comparison, Mm. all of the parameters that we measured, the fertilisation rates, the blastulation rates, how many of the fertilised embryos made it to blastocyst, Mm. how many of the blastocyst, blastocyst is a day five embryo, Mm. how many of the embryos we were transferring. We're actually implanting all of these parameters were much lower. Uh-huh. And I went to management with some ideas you know, maybe we could try this, maybe we could try that. I've seen this done in other clinics, maybe that would make a difference. And the manager of the clinic said, We don't want to improve our success rates, we don't want more of our patients to get pregnant because then they won't come back. Oh, far out, and I handed in my resignation the next yep. day. I can't walk through a clinic mm. that isn't actually here to get people pregnant. That's that's our whole reason for getting out yes. of bed every day. So,
1: <laughs> and it's just so cruel. You know, hey. It's just so cruel. Yeah. To the people coming yeah. in there, that's just awful. Yeah. I yeah. guess that's where your expertise of knowing the places to go is so important. I can imagine you know a lot about where to go in Australia, but for people who are listening yes. from other countries, do you still offer your help to people in other countries or only in Australia?
2: So I definitely support people all over yep. the world. I have clients in Dubai, London, Bristol, New York, yep. Boston, all over mm-hmm. the place. But I can't, the, the help me choose a specialist, the specific mm-hmm service dedicated to helping people choose a specialist mm-hmm. is only available in melbourne yeah. so mm-hmm. far melbourne australia because that's where i'm most familiar with all of the specialists yeah. but i do have embryology contacts all over the world not so many in america mostly in europe and the uk yeah. and it is the embryologist who can tell you who the good specialists yeah, are great. because we are the ones behind the scenes we hear how they talk to their pa- talk to their mm. patients we hear how they talk about their yeah. patients when their patients aren't mm. there we hear how they make their decisions in meetings and and what they mm. do so we know how they behave mm. behind the scenes and we see their success rates that you would not see yeah. you know su- success rates in inverted commas presented clinic wide it's a clinic wide success mm. rate Whereas individual mm. doctors, you, you you would never find that yeah, information. Right. But individual doctors vary considerably. Yeah. Let me clarify that by saying that your doctor's contribution to your success rate is actually kind of minimal. It's much more to do with the lab. Right. And once the eggs are in the lab, the eggs and the sperm are in the lab, the doctor has nothing to do mm-hmm. with it. It's all about the lab and what the procedures and the policies of the lab are. So choosing a lab is actually kind of the first thing you need to do and then you need to choose your specialist within the ones that use that lab
1: and so for people who are living outside of melbourne if you're if they become your clients are you able to give them advice about how they can ensure they have found a good lab
2: yep so certain questions to ask different things to look up different way you know and different ways to approach their own care mm. and I think you know a lot of the basis of what I talk to people about is is trusting your gut and trusting how you feel mm. and trusting less the crap you find on the internet yeah. so trusting that doing your research choosing doing your research I hate that term mm. but <laughs> trusting how you feel when you sit in with that specialist you know I'm sitting here with this specialist and I I implicitly trust mm. you great. Stop Googling. Stop mucking around on Facebook. Trust your doctor. If after a cycle or two, you think, man, we're not really getting anywhere, take a step back and rethink it. Find another specialist and then trust that one implicitly. Mm -hmm. But don't be second guessing them all the way along the Mm -hmm. way. They don't really like it. And it's not going to do a great deal for your mental health or your success Mm -hmm. if you feel like you're carrying the weight of the story.
1: Totally. Totally. It's... Because that's a pressure too, isn't it? (laughs) When you think it's all on you. Yeah. All right. I'm wondering, I I feel like we're probably getting towards the end of the interview. It's probably a nice long one, but I just can't stop picking your brain because it's just so interesting to me and you just know so much. But I just really want to know, what are some important tests that you think that women who are struggling to conceive should get? And should they wait until they're struggling or should they just get them up front when they want to start trying?
2: Well, that varies mm-hmm. for different people and different specialists as mm-hmm. well. There is a specialist in Melbourne that if you front up to that fertility specialist, they'll test you for everything. I liken it to if you turn up at your GP with a headache and they do brain surgery that afternoon. <laughs> um, I think we need to just go step by right. step through the process. So I like to start really basic. Mm-hmm. If we're thinking we're ready to start trying to build a family, Go and have a preconception screen that finds all the things that you don't want to find out you have once you are pregnant, like rubella and Hep B and C and HIV and all those things. Really important first step to take when you start, when you think you want to build your family. Then learn about your body and learn about how it works. Start taking notice of how you feel at different times of your cycle. Get some education around Mm -hmm. that. Um, And there are a lot of people who can educate you about Mm -hmm. that. There are a lot of different pathways you can take on that one. Then if you, in that process, discover that some of the raw ingredients are Mm -hmm. missing. So I go right back to, are there eggs? Are there sperm? Can they meet? (laughs) You know, if we're three or four months down the track and we haven't had a period, Mm -hmm. then there's probably no eggs. So we need to kind of investigate that sperm just because someone's ejaculating and just because there seems to be two to three mils of it or whatever doesn't mean that there's any sperm in the ejaculate sperm actually only make up five percent of the ejaculate and so getting a semen analysis relatively early in the process is a great yeah. idea i don't mean no, we're ready to have a baby let's get a semen analysis but i mean okay well we're three or four months down mm-hmm. the track it hasn't happened yet mm-hmm. there's no harm in getting a semen analysis at that yeah. point just to make sure yeah. tick the box yeah. done after that i really think it's about just step by step and there are you know more more tests that come in after that, as you go down that process. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you need to jump in at the beginning Mm -hmm. and be doing AMH tests and follicle counts and any of those other Mm -hmm. things, I think, are are kind of detrimental to your mental health. I think, let's just go step by step. Let's recognise that this takes time. Mm -hmm. For 50% of people who haven't conceived after six months will need some kind of help but that help doesn't have to be IVF. It might be help learning about your cycle. Yeah. It might be help with ovulation. It might be help with with other things. But spend those six months while you're trying, mm-hmm. getting on top of your diet, your lifestyle, your, your all the things that you can mm-hmm. do to, to contribute to health. So, yes, I have a lot of clients who come to me right at mm-hmm. the beginning and I love that. Mm-hmm. I love supporting them all the way yeah. through. And most people are pregnant after six months. Yeah. of people will be pregnant after 12, so yeah step by step I love that
1: all right so for everyone listening I'm sure you can tell Lucy is a total expert <laughs> you know so much about this yeah, I'm
2: I can not stop talking you can't shut me up I could talk on I the don't board
1: want to there, shut but. you up I find it so interesting and <laughs> I just yeah it's a world I didn't know much about but I feel way more informed now thank you so much and I just feel like if somebody is listening to this and they're on this path like I can imagine that you're very much wanting a Lucy in your life <laughs> so Yes. Are you offering one-on-one support? It sounds like you are. I, I believe you've got a new course coming up. Like how can people have you in their life?
2: How can they have me in their life? If you head to my website, www2 au, you will find a heap of information. I've written a heap of blogs about a lot of this stuff. Go and have a bit of a read through all of that. You will find in there one of my pet things that we haven't really talked about today is the impact of toxins on fertility, mm. which is um, endocrine disrupting chemicals. There is quite a bit of information there in my blogs and a short course it's not actually not that short it's about an hour course on toxins and fertility that I'm offering a 10% off for your listeners at the moment so PCOS 10 if you use that in addition to that I do one-on-one support all over the world it's offered via zoom and you can book in for one hour or for a bundle so if you want me in your life for for a month for three months for six months you can put that in a bundle which gets you all of the online material plus me, for that length of time. My new course is pretty much everything we've talked about today but expanded, Mm -hmm. and I'm collaborating with an amazing person that I haven't released who it is Mm -hmm. yet, but it's a mindset person. Mm -hmm. Um, She is a hypnotherapist, a fertility hypnotherapist, and so her information combined with my information Mm -hmm. will have you 100% on the right track for getting success out of your IVF cycle much, much sooner. Yeah. So I'm so excited about that. That's hope We're hoping to release that in July. Mm. Actually,
1: that is so. a question I have. And do you only help people who are on an IVF journey? Or you said you sometimes meet with people right at the start of their journey. I mean, they mustn't know where it's going to lead them.
2: So anywhere along the fertility journey, you want to have a baby, come talk yeah. to me. I will help you work out where to go, who to see, when you need to see them, what you need to ask them, how you can support. I sometimes refer to myself as a fertility project manager. (laughs) So fertility is your project. I'm going to manage that project for you. I'm going to help you find your way through all of that and get to a point where you feel released into the wild.
1: Oh my God. I love it. Everyone needs a project manager. I need a project manager for my life. (laughs) I need I think I need a nanny just on hand
2: Um, you're out there and you can help
1: me (laughs) pardon what did you say (laughs) I need one of them too. If you're out there and you can help me, please get in touch. Yes, contact us. Okay, so also check out Lucy on Instagram at Two Lines Fertility. She's just got so much great information on there and you're just a wonderful person to listen to and talk to and be around. So (laughs) just thank you so, so much for coming on the show. This has just been so interesting to me. I've absolutely loved it.
2: My absolute pleasure, and, and I love it too. So <laughs> I can't wait to hear the next step in the journey. What, what's happening? PCOS Girls is just growing, 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 and it's, it's so exciting oh, to watch. It's very exciting. Thank you for caring. That's lovely.
1: <laughs> All right. Bye, Lucy. Bye.